Hello, this is Pete from Pete's Auto Repair. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk, The Mike Novak Show. Starts in 3, 2, 1. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Clean beaches. He's gone deaf from 20 years of answering gardening questions. And she. Uh, here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. What? What? What, Ariana? What? That's right. Hey, look who's here. Look who's in the studio. Or actually in the control room, uh, separated by glass, which is a good thing. Ariana. Oh, uh, you can go do that thing you, you wanted to do. Or did you already? Already. Oh my oh, goodness! Yeah. Holy smoke! Okay, yeah, I'm quick. I'm All quick. right, so, we got a room full of people here. I just want to raise the mic up so that. Uh, they can hear yeah, you. yeah. Uh, there we go. Room full of people uh, to start the show, and it's always a good thing uh, because it uh, it makes us it 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 holds us accountable here. Okay, mm-hmm. we can't we can't phone it in, so to speak. Although we do have people phoning in, and we'll have people phoning in later. Uh, I'm being very cryptic. But uh, that's the way these things go. You know, that's what we call a tease you in know, radio. If they're on Facebook Live, they'll see a couple of us. Oh, are, are we are. Uh, there's already oh some. Joe, Joey Baird. Joe, I, I hope you can hear us because last week people couldn't hear us on the Facebook. And and George, I don't know if you could hop up there and, and move the camera. Uh, <laughs> no, the camera actually literally needs to move. But we can oh, get that at the break. Oh. Yeah, we'll why? get that at the break because other than Joey Baird, nobody knows what we mean. Uh well, so are you worried about the top of my head being cut no, off, or the fact no. that we can't see? Oh, that's right. That we, yeah, that's room. right. Well, yeah, we we'll will fix that. Yeah. So uh, we have uh, some folks from Urban Rivers in uh, the show today in the studio uh, who have come uh, up to Evanston. Here, it's a, a, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to reconnecting communities to urban rivers, and basically, they've done this project in. Uh, Chicago, where well, I, I don't want to explain it now. Uh, let's just say it's it's floating plants. Okay, how about that? Floating plants, and uh, something like that. Uh, and uh, you you got to stick around to nine fifteen to uh, to get the the full drift of that and drift. Get it? Can we have a ding, please? Thank you very much. All right. Um, any other buns we can we can throw? <laughs> oh, in? I'm sure we'll come uh, okay. up with a lot of them. Uh, we're going to have uh, Nick Wesley and uh, Zach D'Amato in studio, and uh, and look who else is here: George Brigandi. Throwback, throwback to pirate radio days. <laughs> Arr, pirate radio. He survived. He survived pirate radio. Got the heck. Why he has a beard now to hide? Got out of there as quickly as possible. Uh, he took his little uh, can of coffee can where he was bailing water in the studio, 
You remember that day, George, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, that was something. Uh, that's a long story. Hey, you know what? You know what we should do is we get people to donate money uh, to the station, and then we'll take them out and, and give them beers and tell them all the backstories of everything that goes on in radio, like pirate radio and bailing the state. Wait, I thought you wanted to make money. Uh, of course people want to know all that. It's, it's good dirt. <laughs> Uh, so the folks from uh, Urban Rivers are on today. We will talk about a project that's actually going on in the Chicago River right now, even as we speak. Uh, after that, we go back out to British Columbia to talk to Dave Scott, our buddy from Spaced Out Radio. Any of you guys ever listen to Spaced Out Radio? Not no, yet. Not no, yet. No, no. Maybe okay. I should. Uh, paranormal Radio. Okay. Sounds it, interesting. Yeah. There you go. UFOs and, and all of that stuff. Sasquatch. And- uh, conspiracy theories and blah, blah, blah. Now, one of their guys is a listener to this program, and he put us in touch with Dave, who lives in British Columbia. And, and I don't know if you know this, but they are having ridiculous wildfires out there, like mm-hmm. the lower 48. But if you watch American TV, you don't know Canada even exists. So uh, you can't get any information on it. So you've got to go to the inner tubes to find anything at all about it, And uh, except for us. We have a live report from Dave, who got evacuated from his home last oh, week. And I and I saw a video of him yesterday mm-hmm. driving around a car with yellow smoke all around him. And he said, "Yeah, there's a there's a wildfire 50 miles to the south. Oh, there's one to the east there. Oh, there's one to the north. I mean, they're yeah. surrounded by wildfires. It's it's insane. So uh, he will report again today. And then in the second hour, we've got uh, our buddy Carl Zimring, Carl A. Zimring, who's a, a professor at uh, Pratt Institute in New York. Uh, and he's part of an evening that, that happens this Thursday at Roosevelt University called Two Professors Talking Trash. It's about recycling. And uh, he's going to be uh, part of that. Uh, Chris Carr is the president of the Illinois Recycling Association who is putting on the event. And full disclosure, I'm a board member, and I'm actually the guy putting the, <laughs> the event on. But that's, So you guys are all going to be there. So it's my radio show. And I get to do that, and we and we get to promote that. So uh, Carl Zimmering and Chris Carr will be here, and he's really entertaining. The evening's going to be really entertaining, and I want people to go to my website, MikeNovak.net, right now. Sign up Thursday evening, 6 p.m., Roosevelt University. Uh, I think you're going to have – it's a couple of professors talking trash. I, I think I said two. Whatever. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Let's talk rivers and floating plants next. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is now open. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll have a head start on the season. Peggy and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. 
Angelic Organics Learning Center celebrates its 10th annual Peak Harvest Farm Dinner on July 27th with a special tribute to Chef Paul Verant for his influence on countless chefs, farmers, and eaters. Feast on a freshly harvested five-course meal at Galleria Marchetti Chicago that's designed by protégés of Chef Verant from notable area restaurants. You'll enjoy delicious delights from the Bang Bang Pie Stand, cocktails from local purveyors, live bluegrass, photo ops with adorable farm animals, and special guests including Mike Novak, WBEZ's Monica Eng, chefs, farmers, and more. Dinner ingredients will be served at their peak freshness from sustainable local sources. They're also celebrating the 20th anniversary of Upper Midwest Craft, their sustainable farmer training alliance. Join Mike and a bunch of folks who love good local food at Galleria Marchetti on July 27th. For tickets and information, go to learngrowconnect.org slash farmdinner. This is your talk. You want to just put in hashtag in any of your social media, hashtag 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. It's a little more mellow than I had uh, yeah. counted on here. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. Maybe it's the uh, the, the cloudiness. Yeah, it is a... Hey, welcome. We're going to be here all day long till noon at AY. Uh, and uh, happy to have in the studio the folks from Urban Rivers. Uh, we have uh, Nick uh, Wesley and uh, Zach D'Amato. Uh, and as I mentioned, George Brigandi, who sort of made all of this happen. George worked with our show last year and has now found himself working for Urban Rivers, and that's how this works. You get your intern to go out there and get you show segments so that you don't have to work that hard, and then you bring them in. Okay. So that's it. He's got his coffee. He's, he's ready. Got, he's, he's just, he's not, you know, he's, I'm surprised you're, you, you didn't bring a cot and you're just lying down in, this, in the back of the studio. Uh, and, and we're also live on Facebook if you want to see George. Yeah, if you want to see George, you you can't. You, he, there he is in the corner. Check out the beard. All right, just. <laughs> I'm so glad that you guys don't have beards. Good. That that makes me feel better. Especially Shane for the morning, just for you. Did, so. uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that. I have enough hair for everybody. Um, and these are folks who. Okay, uh, several weeks ago, Peggy and I went to the Chicago River at the behest of a friend of the show who wrote to us and said, hey, w- there's this area by Diversity Bowl. Uh, Diversity, Diversity Ri- Wetland. Yeah, Diversity Wetland by Diversity River Bowl. Do you guys know where that is in Chicago? It's, it's a, the, the River Bowl? I know where the yeah, River, the river Bowl, Bowl is. Yeah, yeah the River Bowl. Okay, yeah. so you Wait go across me. the river from that, and there's this little area that, was, that had uh, plants thrown in it about, I want to say, a dozen years ago. So like 2004, so I think it was 2004. Yeah, and so, it, so there's a big sign up there, everything else. I mean, this was an organized idea from Friends of the Rivers and the city of Chicago and some other people, and they said, we're, 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 doing, uh, we're planting some of these things in here and uh, uh, trying to create habitat and attracting um, fish and birds and wildlife. And so a friend of ours said, hey, you should come take a look at this. And Peggy and I went down there, <laughs> and it's a mess. It's nasty. It's nasty. I'm looking for a photo to, to uh, show the guys. Yeah, you find that. I didn't post it. I was going to post it because I just thought, well, it's, this, that's going to give the wrong. I was going to put it on the blog for this week, and I thought, no, that's going to give the wrong idea about what's happening on the river right now with what you're doing. So basically, but, yeah, they had put 
a corner of the river, built a wetland. There was some structure. There had been a fence. There had been everything else. There's some pretty signs. Mm-hmm. And it has collected every bit of junk you can imagine. There, oh, yeah. It's full of you know, anything from shopping carts to balls, garbage, bags. Plastic ba- plastic bottles, um, scum. Um, uh, just you know, and you can even see the the mesh where they had set it up, and it's collapsed into the river. And so, there but it w- still has turtles. There were still t- got turtles. Though. It still got turtles. That's what important. was interesting? There were Canada geese and turtles. End of story. All right, Canada geese up there just digging on themselves, and you know, picking off the doing ticks. what geese do. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what geese do, and uh, a couple of turtles lying there on whatever uh, drip piece of driftwood was in the sun. Uh, and we thought, well, that's that. That ain't good. This is not what I'm sure they had in mind. But the problem is, there was no follow up mm-hmm. to it's this. It's abandoned. Pretty it, much. It, it's pretty much abandoned. Or it looks abandoned. It yeah. may not be, but it looks abandoned. And it was also done at a time when the river was not disinfected. We mm-hmm. just started in the last couple of years, uh, and I'm sure they ran out of money, as 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 the city always does. Uh, and and sometimes uh, groups do. So fast forward, here we are, 2017, and George tells us, hey, I got this group I'm working with now uh, called Urban Rivers, and they're going to do that. And Becky and I looked at each other and thought, well, if it's the same thing, uh, yeah, there's going to be you know plastic bottles and scum and, and the occasional turtle, but this is actually something different because so, I was – in reading up about what you're doing, and I and I do, and I think what we ought to do, Peggy, is go over there and do a little Facebook Live right on the river mm-hmm. with these plants. Um, this is a project that got its uh, inception through Josh Yellen, who's one of your co-conspirators, right? Oh, so yeah. Are you guys yeah. all co uh, co-founders, co-founders, co-directors? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're all yeah. co-founders. Yeah. You're all yeah. co- co-founders, so you all just sort of jumped in at the same time. Uh, and Josh did this thing in 2013 where he took a floating platform and he put plants in it, figured out that they they would survive. And we'll talk about the method of that. Uh, and it served that kind of served as the basis for what you're doing now. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So okay. in, in 2013, he wanted to see how these floating islands affected uh, fish habitat. Mm-hmm. So he had this one that sat there about a five foot by 10 foot unit, had plants growing on it. And basically was monitoring to see what types of fish came and lived underneath compared to docks and open waters. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, had some pretty interesting results, which, you know. Then, well, yeah, you know, the, the fish population increased and, and good things basically happened, right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. correct, yeah. All right. So here we are, 2017, and you guys, or 2016, you guys get together and say, hey, let's, let's do this on a big scale. Let's, let's, uh, let's yeah. raise some money and put these platforms in the river and... Uh, and what triggered doing moving it to that point of getting into a Kickstarter and, and saying, yes, we're going to do this? Well, Nick and I met at the end of 2013. Uh, we were both in well, – he just graduated. I was in a career transition, and we wanted to grow hydroponic plants on the top of uh, grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Then – I don't know how it got to the river concept because he actually grew some plants in college using river water because one of his systems wasn't working. Yeah. And we're like, okay, we should get some research for this, which with no proof and no credibility. Uh, we met Josh, who had the thesis. And we're like, well, okay, you've how got How did the... you meet Josh? I mean, it then had to have just been... networked through the like ecosystem of river and water people throughout okay. the city. All right. Yeah. Bo okay. DRC, actually. Well, you know, and I want to know if there is such a thing like that. Well, yeah, I mean, Bo DRC, you know... who started uh, Breakwater, who's at... Going to be this large barge um, 
in the Lake Michigan, connected us, and I met Josh. I'm like, we have to do this, and that was you know two two about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, we can't let this research go to waste, and. We said, okay, we need to do research a big goes to waste all the time. I'll have you not, know. A, well, not, not, not on our watch, not on our watch. And uh, we were very driven to, to create an ecosystem, which we did this last install. And all, obviously, we did an aquaponics section, which is really you know what got us into this whole mess. You know, three mm-hmm. years ago. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so a little bit more on that company too. So that's like a side business, Niwa. Oh no, oh. Niwa's a uh, separate business for okay. myself. Nothing compared okay. to Urban Rivers, yeah. So. But that, that's also some of where your hydroponics came from. But but there's there's connections in a, in the various businesses you've been involved in that allowed you to make this project happen. Yeah, but for Urban Rivers is more me and Nick meeting Josh with the research mm-hmm. and say let's do this, and we got all the crazy people that you know want to get involved, which is our team now. So okay, so <laughs> let's explain this for the folks who are listening and going. I have no idea what they're talking about. The idea is. You folks decided that you can create habitat along the river. And the problem with creating habitat along the river, as one of the habitats you've got now shows, when you got steel beams that are going all the way down to the bottom of the river, you don't just rip those out and you put in a river bank and you have lovely little um, uh, water plants and, and a river's edge and everybody comes and picnics. There's It's a drop-off, It's mm. it, you know, and, and so how do you get native plants there? You can't. The only way you could do it is is your solution, which is ingenious. Take a floating platform, uh, and and here's the part that I, as I went through your stuff, I had the hardest part understanding because some of the uh, articles that describe it, and even your site talk about a mesh on it, and some of them talk about core, uh, which is a, a planting medium. Uh, some of them, I assume it's kind of a combination of both. There's a mesh and core, and that's spelled C-O-I-R, which is a planting medium from medium made from coconut shells. Uh, and it's used in gardening a lot. In fact, some people think it's the replacement for sphagnum peat moss, which is mm. not sustainable uh, to use. Uh, so... So you ha- so you have you have these barges and they float and they're mesh and they're made of core. So you plant in the top, from what I understand, and you just correct me when, because this is in my tiny little feverish brain, what came out. You plant in the core. The roots grow through into the water. There's enough nutrients in the water because it is the Chicago River after all, and the plants will survive. And you know it's just like hydroponics. I'm growing. I grew plants in my home in jars, mm-hmm. uh, in in uh, uh, clay pellets, and they came through the clay pellets and grew into the water. And if that if you can do that at home, you can certainly do it in the river. If as long as the plants stay in contact with the water, and there are plenty of nutrients, and there's light, and the right things, and the right medium. So is this basically it? So the thing floats then because it's it it floats and and it can adapt to the to the changes in the height of the river and mm-hmm. the various circumstances that you know snow and ice and wind and rain and everything else that comes along. What have I gotten wrong with this? I, so far, you're betting a thousand. Oh, so okay. they, <laughs> they're going for coffee. Basically, yeah. So there are these. Floating platforms. They have coconut choir, and they use the right, and and that's the other. The most important thing is how you pronounce that word. Nobody in the industry seems to know how to pronounce it. You say choir. I've heard people say core. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. Quar. Except all of them for now. Maybe we get coconut sh- scraping. Joey Baird. How do you pronounce it? How do you pronounce it? That's what I want to know because he's he's with the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. He's one of the people following us on Facebook right now. 
uh, Facebook Live. Uh, anyway, we'll get that from him. So go ahead. Yeah, so uh, we have um, – our rivers have a lot of nutrients in them, like most rivers in the United States. I mean, they you get things like agriculture runoff, and our rivers, we have things like, you know, sewage that go in it and uh, yeah. other stuff. So there's a, there's a lot of Yeah, but nitrogen. a lot of nutrients in that stuff. Come well, on, you know that. A lot of pathogens, too, but a lot of yeah, nutrients. Yeah, yeah. Double-edged sword. And, yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> it is, yeah. But so the – by putting these plants in, what they're able to do is, is kind of thrive off of that. You know, they're in this mm-hmm. environment that is, you know, great for them in some ways uh, and for some different plants. And, you know, they, they kind of flourish. And so it's interesting to I see. kind of flourish. I it, like that idea. It, it's interesting to see what works and what doesn't work. And one of the things that we're doing is we have, you know, uh, a bunch of different plants we're testing. So we're kind of using this all as an experiment to see how these things develop mm-hmm. over time and what plants work, what plants don't work. And that's going to kind of help us drive and move into uh, further installations using those plants that really kind of take well to this environment. Yeah, and, and we've done a plant survey with our uh, some of our partners at Chicago Botanical Garden for like the last three years. So we've got an idea of what was at the original raft but is on the riverbanks. So we historically have collected a lot of information to help pinpoint like what's going to work and also to mitigate like what are those risks are with the new plants. Uh, most of them being prairie plants and, and native, but uh, we've been able to mitigate that through like just constant research and, and um, have taken that data historically. So, well, and I want to point out something here, folks. Those of you watching uh, live on Facebook right now and listening to the show on the radio, it's not just a bunch of dudes who just said, "Okay, we're going to go to the river and we're going to do this really cool thing." Uh, you guys have partners involved like Whole Foods and and uh, Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago is involved in this. Patagonia is involved in this. You have these science uh, organizations and businesses that help you develop the, these rafts and, and this the platform, which I assume as you install them, and you just installed your first one, it got done in June. Uh, there's photos of it. If you go to MikeNovak.net, you can see that, or you can go to Urban Rivers. Uh, on Facebook, and you can see photos of that. Mm-hmm. You, you guys have posted all kinds of stuff. Uh, and you get a sense of how this works. And the weird thing is, it actually seems to be working. I mean, you you can grow stuff. I, I love your before and after photograph. That's an actual before and after photograph, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it oh, looks... the, oh, the, the one, one is a render. One is a render mm-hmm. on the on the front page. But every week we go uh, back. Uh, okay. Every week we go back. I mean, I feel like it's just another six inches or it yeah. just keeps going. So, I mean, we have... so okay. where exactly is this installed in the river? So if you go to North Avenue and Kingsbury mm-hmm. uh, in Chicago, there's a Whole By Foods the Whole there. Foods, yeah. It's along the river walk. Okay. Right. It's the area where... You really don't want to drive because they turned this. They they brought the suburbs to the city with all those stores there. But at the, North and Clybourne, that, that North and Clybourne, yeah. yeah, it's like uh, stay stay away, uh, except to go to the river and see what's floating in the river and Absolutely. growing next to the Whole Foods, which is a very very cool thing. So you started there, and you what you want? It's six hundred feet long. You put one hundred and sixty six feet. That's the number I saw. What what are what are the dimensions of the things you've put in and what you're going to put in? Yeah, so we have a permit for 600 feet on that section right now. Okay. Um, and we put 166 600 feet. feet long? Long. Linear. How, how linear wide feet. are you allowed to go out? Which And wide is going out into the river, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we can go out uh, about 25% of the length of the river. The so, width. The width. The, or the width. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're out currently That's a four lot, meters. actually. Yeah. Yeah. That is a lot. But and that, in particular, that 
east side of Goose Island has no barges. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that the 25% rule is throughout in general. Maybe you can, Nick can answer that. But in that section, we have no barges coming through. So it gives the opportunity to create what we want to is a urban sanctuary of gardens throughout the entire area. Uh, but, yes, 25% is a good width, a, a good distance to come out from the mm-hmm. seawall. Um, because boats can still get through for navigation yeah, I think, uh, as long as there's no barges. 20 feet, yeah. but yeah. still get and, them out. And I've canoed that section of river, and, and it would be nice to have that area there where you could kind of pull over and, and you go. You could stop for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and put your, open your sandwich on the little uh, floating platform there and uh, what, maybe see a turtle. Uh, and, uh, well, uh, so this is the start. You've got 160, and, and you're, you're going to expand on that? platform that you have there now yeah so we want to expand in the the 600 feet right off the bat finish that up there's a section across which is owned by a company waste management they have a seawall there which we would like to expand to as well waste management never heard of them uh, okay. <laughs> that's about 800 or 900 feet i think okay yeah and then there's a this whole three-quarter mile section that's kind of non-navigable so that's the area that we want to Put more of these installations. The non-navigable in. area. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah from, so, like, from the Whole Foods down to the Halstead Street Bridge, mm-hmm. more or less, is like the section that we want to create this urban sanctuary. Uh, of course, we can go into the South Branch and you know other areas. But you got to start someplace, yeah. of course. But this yeah. is like this is a very ripe and open canvas because of the you no know, barges and and the low wake and uh, just like there's a lot of overhead trees there, so it's a lot of things that we can do. Design-wise, uh, so. All right. Well, that's uh, Zach D'Amato. Nick Wesley is also here in the studio. Uh, and we are talking about Urban Rivers and their platform. If you have a question or a comment, 847-475-1590, 847-475-1590. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We will be right back. ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycled product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. That's because you're missing out on not only the garden magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 
888-265-3600. This is your talk. Hey, this place is really something else, huh? Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. a little better mm-hmm. i don't want anybody falling asleep here <laughs> especially me welcome back to the mike novak show with peggy malecki and uh our staff of course is on it uh all the time and we, we apologize to the facebook live people because peggy shut them down she just and i hit the wrong button nice thanks we had a big <laughs> crowd up there and you just said goodbye so yeah. head on back over there everybody please uh they're not gonna go uh but uh our staff our crack staff uh, tweeted, Coyer is pronounced K-O-Y hyphen U-R, Coyer, two syllables according to most authoritative sources. <laughs> the second most recommended is like choir as C-H-O-I-R. Choir. So, qu- uh, choir, choir. All right, Coyer. All right, Coyer. That coconut I, stuff. I will never remember <laughs> that. Uh, in the studio with us are uh, Nick Wesley and Zach D'Amato from Urban Rivers, and we were just talking about their floating gardens. Oh, and I had an idea for it last night, which I knew I needed to write down, because as I say floating gardens, I said I have a marketing slogan for you guys and of course i didn't write it down so when it comes back to me i will contact you and you can pay me big bucks for the marketing slogan <laughs> uh, so five cents a letter yeah uh, good there we go well it's at least eight letters so um deal at least get him coffee yeah okay. uh, and uh we were talking about their their floating gardens made of very lightweight material floating the chicago river you put the plants in them they're growing them and Nick, you were mentioning that you're checking to see which plants are doing well and which plants are not. Any indication right now which plants do well and which do not? You know, so that's the surprising thing for us. I expected a lot of die-off right off the bat. I thought that some of these plants would just get shocked, gone. We would know that that was well, the did case, you, okay, mark well, them off. Did you, but they didn't come out of aquaponic situations, did they? Did they come out of, like, pots with soil? Yeah, plants soil, yeah. Yeah, soil, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, there's that shock. Yeah. You take them out of the soil and you put them in the water. Yeah, but su- surprisingly, there hasn't been. Uh, well, there's like one module that's, like, somewhat healthy, but I think the whole thing is fairly dry. Yeah, and, and we'll kind of see how this develops. One of the things that we notice is we have this agriculture section, so we have a couple different um, edible plants, and those are just... Loving this stuff. Ah, the kale is like at least 16 inches high. The ca- wow. Oh, my gosh. So you got Lassinato kale. Lassinato kale, yeah. Wow. I've got some growing in my yard. So how you harvest that thing? Do you have to get in the boat to harvest? Oh, yeah. We go I, in I just kayaking. ripped off a piece when I was kayaking. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's not scientific, and that's not uh, – but, you know, there you go. I mean, if, well, um, we're, we're if alive, you want to use it. Make sure we're, we're still living after we eat it. So Yeah. yeah. But so long-term, though, if, if as you extend this – how would you anticipate it does get harvested and maintained? And I yeah. mean, it's kind of two different I mean, questions. The, the, You've got harvesting of the of the the kale and the tomatoes and stuff. You know, well, how, how would that the, get done? The, so, the the actual prairie section and like the, he'll do the I'll let him do the aquaponics. the The plants we have now, we let them just be. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the stuff that we we'll have to do is if there's some weeds that are that, and there's some invasive properties of some of the plants that get out of control. But we, the, our main section, like is supposed to be like a natural prairie, 
and and this year like let it grow as it should and see what happens like mm-hmm. and that in, in the pilot one we had we never touched it for years because we wanted to see like what naturally happens what grows back and so for this like the only thing we have to maybe trim is the edibles uh especially the basil so it can regrow because you have to trim them a little bit so he can get speak to more of the aquaponics but we plan mm-hmm. to just learn learn what happens learn how big they can get but uh, but you're mixing different kinds of plants about 40 like eight different species i i I, but not just but not not just the species but you know for instance you've got edibles and and you've mentioned prairie plants do you have some forbs yeah uh yeah what about shallow water plants i imagine you have some of those as well some emergence yeah we have some that grow right bulrush Yeah, we got George. You you perked up there because you worked at the Chicago Botanic Garden yeah. last year. Head on over the mic there, George. Yeah, I I only remember a handful of the plants' actual names. Our uh, one of our our coworkers, Peter Nagel, who actually works at the Botanic Garden, can definitely speak better to this. But I do know that we have bulrush and then uh, some arrowhead, and I cannot remember. But but, but the point is, are you? Mixing all of these plants together on the same barges or what do you, you call them, uh, floating platforms? Yeah. So we have, we kind of break it down into sections. So we they are like, for instance, agriculture, we have that as its own kind of archipelago. So it's all, all those plants are kind of ah, separate okay. from the others. We have, you know, then um, prairie plants. We have a section that has a lot of different prairie plants. And then, you know, emergence and stuff we have along certain edges. So mm-hmm. we try to kind of. Make it like there's, uh, you know, more or less uh, states inside of this this whole nation of plants. Yeah, we so. we spent hours with Peter, like really breaking down. Like, there's somewhat mixed, but they're definitely the sections that are like give it some strength. Like, you know, the, in the modules there's four rows, and we strategically picked them to give enough uh, room for each species. So mm-hmm. it's not like one and one and one. Like they're they're they have groups. So. And, and and you mentioned modules, and again, folks need to know that they take the. How big are the each? How big is each module? Uh, a meter by two point three meters. So seven and a half feet by three and a half feet. Okay, mm-hmm. just for uh, those who don't like, know the metric system. Yeah, but it's it's kind of <laughs> like those uh, the gardens that a lot of people do in community gardens, which are like four by eight. Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. it's roughly yeah. the same thing. So yeah. it's like taking a four by eight section, floating it out on the river, and then you you gang them together. To create a larger area, and each one, as you say, can have its own uh, set of plants on it. Yeah. Uh, and now it's what? Sit back and wait and see what happens because really, as you pointed out, you're not grooming. You're not fertilizing. You're certainly not putting in pesticides uh, and just seeing how the plants respond to the Chicago River itself. Exactly. Just, you know, open water aquaponics and hydroponics. And, I mean, I guess it's aquaponics throughout the whole thing because there's fish there. But Yeah. Just we let, like, let we like to call it river ponics. River ponics. <laughs> river ponics. That's Nick's, Nick's coined that, and I think it's even a better right, uh, name. Yeah. So, so oh. these, these are basically, you know, floating. Mm-hmm. They're attached to the to the seawall. Yep. Um, what happens when we get those massive, as they call them, flash events? If, if Something like what happened in Lake County this week were to happen in Chicago and the river goes way way up yeah so one of the 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 whole chicago river system the level of it kind of changes constantly depending on more or less the whims of the mwrd so um and not nature oh and (laughs) and nature as well yeah Yeah, absolutely all the runoff from the streets yeah 
So they so it it, it varies constantly, mm-hmm. like throughout you know, depending on what's going on. If there's going to be a rain event, they lower it down and stuff. So what we one of the things that we had to incorporate is to make these things move up and down mm-hmm. um, seamlessly. So unless the uh, water level gets above the seawall, in which case there's going to be a mess of problems for Chicago itself. But unless it gets up to up there, um, it should just move up and down. You know, as as far as yeah. as it, this it last lost. storm, there was no issue. Yeah, we know it should yeah. be. We we gave slack for a reason, and you know. Yeah, and eventually, probably someone, a couple divers, will be needing to check those the attachments see, every so often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we have to do go through um, basically checking to make sure everything works mm-hmm. uh, on a uh, regular basis to yeah, so that nothing breaks apart or anything. So what did the city say when you came to them with a permit application? You know, that was one of the interesting kind of. Parts of this whole project is, you know, we initially when we got started, we thought like, okay, like this is great. We're going to do the easy part and get the permits and then do the hard part and try to raise some money for this project. Mm -hmm. And what we realize is that it's kind of it's not something that people are used to permitting. Therefore, a lot of (laughs) misinformation goes into that. Yeah, it's new. Seen that before. That's that's a problem, though. It is usually the city. Go, start stammering and sweating, uh, and and they revert to. We we talked about that yesterday, um, with uh, somebody who was on the show about permit process in the city of Chicago and how they get stuck in the 1950s or wherever they are, and they don't know how. To, I saw that happen with with food kitchens, with shared kitchens, mm-hmm. where the the people who pioneered shared kitchens in Chicago got put out of business because the inspector showed up every week. Because the city did not know how to deal with with shared kitchens, and they put these people out of business. Now the city is funding shared kitchens, uh, and I feel sorry for the pioneers who who really got treated poorly. Same thing with you guys. How do you get a permit for this? And are how closely are you working with the city of Chicago? I know you're working with MWRD, uh, but uh, does is the city sort of how are they paying attention to this? You know, so the. The process I could I could actually walk you through the exact process real quick on yeah. how someone puts something in the river like okay, this. Okay, go for it. So you you got to start off with the um, Army Corps of Engineers. So they mm-hmm. are kind of the 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 top branch when it comes to this stuff. Okay. So you you apply for a permit uh, through them, um, and surprisingly, contrary to my uh, biases, I thought that they it was going to be very difficult. They were extremely helpful and and very easy to work with. So um, in terms of permitting a project like this. So you go through them. You have to get approval from the Coast Guard. Um, then you have to get another uh, permit in the Chicago River, a harbor's permit with the IDNR, wow. and then CDOT as well. Holy smoke. Um, and, and then once yeah. it, once all of those people say yes and the property owner also says yes, then you can put something like this in the water. And how long does it take to get all people on board with that? You know, it, it, for us, it took about two years to actually – get to this point now yeah. that we kind of know the process that we know the people involved we could probably get it done in a couple months um, oh, well that's good that, yeah and and how did you get the mwrd to pay attention to what you were doing that's a research collaboration so they agreed to do uh, in-kind research for us for mm-hmm. over four years so they do a little fish counts microinvertebrate they go about three times a year uh and they will give us that data and will give us the ability to publish that into a scientific journal our other team member, Josh Yellen, has a relationship with them, and 
and they loved our project. And, and we I think George had that. a little bit of a relationship with them. George, uh, his charm and his charm came in. I yeah. was out on the boat with them actually uh, earlier this week doing electroshock while they uh, monitored the fish around and near the garden, and we saw some, you know. Little baby uh, minnow bass or largemouth bass, spot fin shiners, and so forth. So they're definitely there, and now we just hope the numbers yeah, increase. Was it like 58 species in <laughs> yeah. the river? Uh, well, uh, the plants? Right, yeah. No, oh, of oh, fish. Oh, fish, yeah. I think that's why I was reading off your Kickstarter information. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Well, and, and you should know, folks, they raised $30,000 on Kickstarter. When we're off air, I want, to ta- I, I want to talk to you guys about how to raise money on Kickstarter <laughs> because nobody I know knows how to make that work, but you guys did. So it's it's just fabulous. Here's We've got like no time left, but what I want is for you guys to bring us down to your floating garden. Peggy and I want to do a little report from down there. We would love to do that if you Get don't Get us mind. out on a kayak. Oh, absolutely. Let's do it. And, absolutely. Uh, and, and, uh, okay, great. And if you want more information, go to urbanriv.org, R-I-V.org, or go to my website, mikenovak.net. Go to Urban Rivers on Facebook. It's all over the place. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being in the studio. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me, Mike. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We will be right back. Is this the year you finally get your lawn off drugs? But why stop there? Why not work with your city, your park district, and your local schools to create a neighborhood of lawns that are beautiful and safe? Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston-based company with a decade of experience managing large turf areas naturally. They'd be happy to sit down with you, your local school, or city to answer any questions and to give you a free lawn care estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. Hi, this is Lisa Albrecht from the Illinois Solar Energy Association, and once again, we are raffling off a Tesla to one lucky winner. This year, it's the 2017 Tesla Model X. That's the sports utility vehicle. The proceeds go to ISEA for our work in advancing clean energy development in Illinois. Each ticket is $100, but you can get four for $300. Only 2,500 tickets will be sold, and you can buy as many as you'd like. The drawing is December 7th, and you don't need to be present to win. Go to IllinoisSolar.org for details. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. This is your talk. We're going to be here for a long time. Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Always a fun song to drive to. You just crank it up, right? (laughs) Okay. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on a Sunday morning, the Sunday version. And last week, if you were listening to the program, we had a very interesting report from 
British Columbia, courtesy of Dave Scott, who is back on the line this morning. Dave, are you with us? Good morning. How are you? Uh, okay, Dave. Uh, I guess uh, who cares about how we are? The question is, how are you? You're in the midst of these wildfires, and we've been doing some research mm-hmm. uh, uh, on this, and I see that 17,000 people have been evacuated in British Columbia alone, uh, 10,000 in one town. I think they just took the whole town. Which What was that, Williams Lake? Williams, Williams Lake. Lake, yeah. Williams Lake, and they said, get out of here. Just get out of here. Um, yeah. I looked at the map and you can see the various areas where the roads are shut down and, you know, they'll let you out, but they won't let you in. Um, and it goes on and on and on. So what's the story a week later on the wildfires and, and your own situation? Well, if you remember a week ago, I had just been evacuated 48 hours early. My house is in the 108-mile ranch area, which mm-hmm. is uh, about 45 minutes south of Williams Lake, where 10,000, 11,000 people were evacuated yesterday. And, you know, it's been intense. I can tell you right now, as of yesterday, it's the third time I've been put on evacuation alert. It's been quite an interesting and emotional process that if you've never been in that type of situation, it is it is hard on the mentality. It is 100% hard on the mentality and, you know, I, I wake up this morning literally wondering, where do I go? Mm. I, don't, I don't know where to go. Well, well, let me ask you a couple of questions about that. Are you, you're not back in your home, I assume. No, uh, the fire is actually still by my house. I mean, that was a week and, ago. Doesn't it burn itself yeah. out at some point, or has it not gotten to your house yet, or what's the story? My friend, this, this is so big. This fire up here is so big, we're talking probably the size of Manhattan, if you want to put it on a scale-type size, and if not larger. I mean, this is uh, the fire that is sitting uh, just miles from my house. Uh, if, a, if a heavy wind comes through, you know, it could, uh, it could push the fire and the flames towards my house again, and we're all praying that the wind does not go east. Mm-hmm. They were talking between yesterday and today up to 40 to 50 mile an hour winds yeah. coming through this area, which, you know, didn't happen. But you know what? I got to tell you, uh, lack of a better term, a little bit of rain fell uh, last mm-hmm. night. This is the first time I'm wandering outside right now and I'm looking and I'm seeing dampness. And this is the first time I've seen dampness is probably three, four weeks. Wow. So. Hopefully, fingers crossed, this is a sign to come because there are a lot of people hurting here right now. Now, thankfully, there have been no deaths. Uh, There have been uh, about 40 or 50 houses lost due to this. And, you know, I don't even want to put a number on the amount of wild animals and and farming animals. Yeah, what are the ranchers doing? Ranchers are have it's actually been very impressive, Peggy, because uh, the ranchers and people, anybody who has a trailer mm-hmm. has been rolling up to ranches, getting cattle, getting dogs, getting horses, getting pigs. Mainly up here, it's horses and and cattle that people have been evacuating. But, you know, let's face it, cattle sometimes are not the smartest animal and they run the opposite way. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, probably the saddest story I've heard is up here we actually have wild horses. And I guess fire crews came across a uh, a group of wild horses that had 
died due to uh, mm-hmm. smoke inhalation and then eventually got burned, oh. right? So um, that's probably the, the hardest one for me because wild horses are just something special about them. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's get back to what you said before, the emotional toll on this. I imagine. So they tell you to get out of your house. And I saw the video you posted yesterday of you driving around. And it's scary because it's it's yellow smoke all around you and you're describing it. And one of the things you did not describe in the video, and maybe you have done it in other videos, is the smell. I mean, I, I was looking at your video and I could smell the smoke. (laughs) <laughs> just seeing the yellow uh, haze around you, I could smell that, and I know what that smells like. But that's got to be wearing on you because that's 24 hours a day, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you develop a cough, uh, you know. And, and I apologize for just coughing there, but you actually do develop a cough. And uh, you get sick of smelling campfire everywhere. Like I woke up 20 minutes ago to, you know, make sure I was sounded somewhat of coherent for this interview <laughs> and uh, and but where are you, where I, are you I, staying where are you staying i i am staying about 20 minutes out of town i am in a in a uh, town called lone butte where i'm staying with my friend mike and we're staying with our friend uh wendy and miles house okay and uh and we're on 10 acres of uh safe land right now but as of yesterday due to the winds we were put on evacuation alert here Wow. So that's my thir- that's my third time uh, since you and I talked. Now that I have been on evacuation alert. And what does evacuation uh, alert mean versus what evacuation? That mean, what that mean, What that means is uh, the the Ministry of Forests, along with our our uh, government, has put us on uh, an alert that the fire is moving this way. Therefore. Before it reaches you, we're going to put you on alert that says that if we say you got to go, you got to go. Mm-hmm. So we're not we're not being told to leave yet. I mean, what the hell? I've already left twice, two different <laughs> homes. So why not go for the hockey hat trick and you know have to leave one more time? Yes. Yeah, so you got to you got to actually go back to the house real quickly before they told you to get out again and make sure that everything yeah. was okay. Uh, and you, and of course you have your dogs with you, right? Yes, I do. Okay. And you got friends. Go ahead. Yeah. My dog actually, it's weird. Um, my dog has actually, uh, developed a smoker's cough. Oh no. From this. So we've been monitoring that. Um, we've been monitoring just the situation. He's been, my one dog has been kind of lethargic and, uh, you know, you try and keep him hydrated, but. You know, people up here, if I could make a mention here, people up here have been amazing in helping one another. They're, you know, like I, I walked into one of the, they have shelters set up in community halls all over the place, filled with food, information, beverages. I walked into one yesterday and, and they almost made me feel guilty that I didn't <laughs> take anything, you know. And I'm like, well, I'll grab some granola bars, a couple of power aids, a pack of water and some dog biscuits for my dogs. I said, is this okay? They're like, oh, do you want more? Do you want more? Like the donations and the love that people up here are getting is quite emotional. And it, it's, it's beautiful. Like there was one pub here it had to shut down due to the evacuation alert yesterday. But the, this Iron Horse pub uh, up here, they were feeding people for free. 
and they were getting truckloads of food and donations. Mm -hmm. So that way, if you were an evacuee and you were out of food, you had a meal. It didn't matter if it was one meal a day or three meals a day. You had, and and so people like me who aren't in a food crisis, I was actually going down there just so I could tip the people for their hard work. You know the, you know for taking care of the people who need it. So mm-hmm. it it really is a beautiful story. I mean, you you look for a ray of sunshine. You look for anything, Mike, that can be positive. You know, in this dark situation, and because I'll tell you. It sucks being away from home. <laughs> it sure it, does. It, I tell you. I tell you what. I tell you what, Dave. Uh, we've actually we've got a break for news, but I'm going to bring you back for one more short segment, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. All right. Well, hang on. That's Dave Scott reporting from British Columbia. There are wildfires up there. He's been evacuated twice. You don't know what it's like to live unless you've lived through a wildfire. Uh, I haven't, and I'm glad. We'll be back right after this. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again. Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Whenever my head starts to hurt, before it goes from bad to feeling worse, I turn off my phone, I get down low, and put my hands in the dirt. Welcome back to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show. We're very pleased to uh, have Dave Scott still on the line from British Columbia. If you caught the first hour, uh, he's reporting on the wildfires out there. And why is he reporting on the wildfires? Why he lives out there and, he, and he's been kicked out of his home twice now uh, and uh, has been warned uh, at his friend's home where he's staying. Mm-hmm. And actually, that takes me to another question, Dave. Uh, and uh, that is you have friends you can go to. What about the thousands of people who might not have another home, a friend, where they can drive to and stay for a few days. What what are they doing, driving around, just waiting for the, the, the smoke to lift? Well, literally around our area, within a couple of hours' drive, there have been evacuation centers set up all over the place in university gyms, high school gyms, churches, and 
they are prepared to take, uh, you know, anywhere from a hundred to a few hundred evacuees. They've set up cots in these uh, these facilities just in case that people who have nowhere to go do have a place to mm-hmm. go. And it has been a little bit of a rush. The, the biggest uh, city near us is about a two-hour drive south. And that is? It's called, it's called Kamloops, right. British okay. Columbia. Yeah. And, and, uh, and there they have set up, you know, the universities and everything like that. But because everybody is moving south, to get away from the flames, which are moving north, northeast, they are literally overflowing. So now they're going to have to move people even further away to try and get them some type of accommodation. The best part about it is, you know, if there is a silver lining, everything that is happening is, is being done for free. So as long as people can get out, you know, like if you can prove people are asking for ID. So let's say, for instance, you know, you're you're down on gas and you don't have any money for gas mm-hmm. to get your vehicle to your location. You go in there, you show them that your ID, you say, look, I'm an evacuee. You know, somebody will cover it. There's always somebody covering that bill. You know, food is is been incredible like companies with whether it's restaurants or major companies if they hear someone is hungry or a baby needs diapers or something like mm-hmm. that bang it is right there mm-hmm. like everybody is just so supportive but literally last night on the highway coming from my house there was probably five thousand five thousand cars wow. on the highway Yikes. you know just trying to evacuate and, and, and this is this has got to be an area where you don't see that much traffic out there. I mean, you know, compared to, all right, Chicago or even Vancouver, exactly. or even Vancouver, this is really kind of sparsely populated area, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I, I can drive down the highway and I got more chance of hitting a deer or a moose <laughs> than I do yeah. hitting a car in an accident. Now, that's how that's how sparse that is. Yeah. So what what is the provincial government doing with this? I you know wrote well, in as, the U- go ahead. I'm sorry. As, sorry, Peggy. As of yesterday, they actually called in the Canadian Armed Forces to help battle some of the blazes. Yesterday, there was there was I believe six different communities that were evacuated, and so they've actually call, finally uh, called in the military to help. And what they will do is they will build firewalls. Uh, they'll bring in heavy equipment and tractors and mm-hmm. bulldozers to knock down trees. They literal firewalls. Mm-hmm. These are not the computer yeah, firewalls, folks. And they they will knock down trees and and bulldoze like like acre to two acre wide fire lines. So that way, in case the fire is blowing, it shouldn't be able to jump that fire line. It, mm-hmm. It's been pretty incredible. I mean. It's nice. I can, I'm standing outside right now, soaking up the moisture Yay. in the air right now. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's nice not to hear water bombers. Oh, it's, nice, yeah. it's nice not to hear helicopters. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I, I hate to use this term, but this is literally as close as I've ever been to a war zone. That makes total sense. It does. It does. You know, the assault on the senses and then the noise and the smoke uh, and uh, uh, being forced out of your home, that sort of thing. Well, listen, we've we've run out of time, but 
unlike last week where I gave you 10 seconds and you got cut off, I want you to tell me a little bit about Spaced Out Radio. Uh, are you ab- able to do your job now uh, after a week? You know what? Last week I actually ended up doing some uh, best of broad- broadcast because I just, you know, I didn't know where I was going to be. I'm going to try and become live uh, tomorrow night on Monday at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time. That would be 11 p.m. Chicago until 2 a.m. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We talk about everything strange, everything obtuse, weird, paranormal, UFOs. It sounds a little hokey, but, you know, it's a lot of fun, and we got a lot of people out there who have had experiences that we can't explain. And I appreciate you guys taking the time and interest in what's happening here in British Columbia. Thank you so much. Well, and we're happy I, to do it. I, I think it's important, and people need to know that there are things that go on in other parts of the planet other than their backyards, and this is one place uh, that they need to pay attention to. Uh, Dave Scott, thank you so much. Uh, I got a feeling we're going to talk again next week, okay? Thank you so much. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. we got more coming. Stick around. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st century hair care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Veggie Fest Chicago is back on August 12th and 13th. Be part of one of the largest vegetarian food and lifestyle festivals in North America. Veggies and omnivores alike will have a great time. There's a huge international food court, health professionals with advice for good living, food and cooking demos, a children's tent, live music with some of Chicago's best bands, more than 100 vendors, and it's free. It's at Benedictine University, 5700 College Road in Lyle. Go to VeggieFestChicago.org. Hi, this is Ron Calgill from Mighty House. Are you looking for a cool ride that you can plug in so you can flip off the guy at the gas station? The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2017 Tesla Model X, and only 2,500 tickets will be sold. Go to Illinois Solar and click on the link to the Tesla raffle. You can buy one ticket for $100 or four tickets for $300. All the raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn on December 7th, 2017. That's IllinoisSolar.org. What is this, anyhow? This is your talk. This is America, Jack. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Well, if there were gold on my ceiling, <laughs> I uh, I certainly wouldn't want to recycle it. Well, actually, I would want to recycle it in the bank. Ah. Uh, we are into 
the segment of the show where recycling is the order of the day, which brings us to Carl Zimmering, who was just a guest not that long ago. Carl, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Mike, and thanks for recycling me. <laughs> there you go. All right, we got got your ding here. See, this, folks, that's an example of the kind of humor you're going to see Thursday night. And Carl is on the show uh, because he uh, and uh, Stephen Corey from Columbia College in Chicago are going to be on stage, actually, at Rose- in a classroom kind of setting, at Roosevelt University this Thursday at 6 p.m. for a couple of professors talking trash. But um, bump. Wait, give that a ding as well. And if you're a waitress, yeah, exactly. And tip your cows if you're in Wisconsin. Uh, and uh, they are are going to be talking about stuff we've talked on the show. You know, one of the if you're a regular listener to the show, uh, Carl was on uh, not that long ago, and we talked about your latest book, Aluminum Upcycled. And I wrote on the blog yesterday as I was putting this together. I realized, and I had forgotten this, that that was one of the the best interviews mm-hmm. I think we've done all year. I, I just kept telling oh. I, I kept telling people, you gotta listen to this. You gotta you gotta hear this. This guy's talking recycling and it's entertaining. Um Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate that. And you know, we've got all this stuff going on in Chicago where now they're putting oops stickers on uh <laughs> and you know about that because you're also a board member for the uh, Chicago Recycling Coalition. Um yes, indeed. We've got a little bit of a a, a contrast here between the state and the clean uh, folks today. I'm Did sorry, you, 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 you dropped out for a second. What did you oh, say? Oh, no, no, we've got a little bit of a confab between the state and the city recycling folks, because, of course, you are Illinois Recycling Association mm-hmm. member, yes. as is one of your guests. So. Right. Full disclosure, I am a board member for uh, the uh, Illinois Recycling Association. Carl is a board member of Chicago Recycling Coalition, and Chris Carr is president of the Illinois Recycling Association. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Mike, and good morning, Carl. I'm looking forward to hearing your presentation, sir. Uh, good to meet you over the air, Chris. <laughs> good morning, Chris. Good morning, Peggy. How are you? Good. Uh, and uh, Chris is the one who uh, cracks the whip at the, the meetings. <laughs> uh, you know, she uh, she does a lot of things. She's actually a senior consultant at uh, RSS, uh, which stands for what again, Chris? Resource Recycling Systems, RRS, and our home base is Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay, and uh, but you must obviously have a uh, a Chicago location. Yes, yes. Uh, we have the benefit of being telecommuters, which is saving and lowering our carbon footprint. And so I am actually based out of Geneva, Illinois, but I do a lot of visiting and moving around to make sure that we spread the word about sustainability and good recycling practices to anyone who will listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and actually, that's what Thursday's all about. It's, it's, it's getting folks uh, who are um, uh, involved uh, in, or interested in recycling. You can be involved in it or you can just be uh, someone who, who cares about it. Let's say you're a citizen and you wonder why the city of Chicago can't recycle, uh, and uh, you want some answers. Well, we got a couple of guys who are going to talk about this, and one is Carl Zimring, who uh, was at Roosevelt University. He's one of the people who started the sustainability studies there. 
Um, and uh, and we've got Stephen Corey, who I've not met, but you have, and you've worked with him, Carl. Tell me a little bit about Steve. Stephen is an academic. He's uh, dean of uh, the liberal arts at Columbia College, but in a previous life, he was a journalist for Garbage Magazine, and he knows the history of how cities have managed waste as well as anyone in the United States. Huh. Um, so we can talk a lot about uh, why cities are the ones that tend to be burdened with waste, even though they're not necessarily creating the waste, and many of the ways in which municipal governments have tried to deal with this burden of tons and tons of disposable material that are being produced every single day. Uh, and there are a lot of folks want to know about that. They wa- the, 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 of course, here, it, it, and it shouldn't be in the 21st century. Of course, in San Francisco, you don't worry about this. But in Chicago, the question always is, is hey, is that really getting recycled? Is it really? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I, I do like that there's an oop sticker because that does uh, relate very much to a lot of the history of recycling in Chicago. Uh-huh. Uh, and and Chris, uh, with your consulting for resource recycling systems, uh, does the average citizen get involved in that? Or are you more on the industry side uh, of this equation? Well, actually, we do both. And frankly, because of my background, I worked for a municipality at one time. Uh, what we bring to the table is the, the the realization that everybody has a role. And we do try to develop and help communities have good education programs because, you know, it's not a one and done. And this industry has evolved over the years. I remember when municipalities had their little separate bags of green glass, white glass, and aluminum cans at the curb. And then we have moved very quickly into a whole new aspect of the industry. But we forget that the residents have learned very religiously how to do this, but now we've changed the, the, the game. We've changed the rules. And what we have to do is recognize that we need to educate the residents and remind them we're moving forward. We're getting smarter. We're learning more. You guys are doing a good job, but now <laughs> we're going to hopefully, oh, yeah, that was my whole mantra with my residents. You're doing a good job. But now, guess what? We've learned more, so can you help? And we're going to tweak this system. Remember, the car you learned to drive in is not the car you drive today. That's a really and good point. And, and yeah. my question to you, Chris and Carl, was going to be, as you were speaking, Chris, you were making me aware that, and I've known this, that it, things have changed as you say, we started out, separate your recyclables, put the glass in one, and put the plastic in another, and the paper in another. And, and in in a certain way, that was better. That was a better system. The, but everybody works on a budget. And the budget people found out that you could throw all of this stuff, all of this recycling, into one bin and recycle it eh, pretty well. Not not as well as when you separate it, uh, but pretty well. And since that was cheaper, that's the way they went. Did, mm-hmm. Carl, is there anything I got wrong about that? Um, the only thing I'd add to that, uh, and this is something that I live in New York now, is uh, something New York is mooting. Uh, it saves time for the consumer to do the single stream, everything in the same bin. It tends to be cheaper. But one of the things it does is degrade some of the materials, 
single-leaf paper. Oh, yeah. As if you're if you're recycling your uh, office paper with uh, your old spaghetti sauce cans, you get some spaghetti sauce on the paper, you can turn that into new paper, but it's going to be degraded paper. So you're downcycling that material into something of lesser worth. And, uh, we, you know, you can do good things with that. Toilet paper is often one of the uh, products that we produce from downcycling paper, but that's one of the costs of putting everything in the same bin and uh, letting it sort itself, well, getting it sorted from there. Contamination becomes more of a problem. Yeah, well, and that was kind of my point, too, that in some ways uh, we had it right the first time. When we told people, let's separate all this stuff, and then we'll we'll separate mm-hmm. it in, on the pickup, and, and, and it made things a lot easier to recycle, and there wasn't the same kind of contamination. People are more motivated. And as Chris pointed yeah. out, yeah, and, and as Chris pointed out, we've been changing the rules. We're moving the goalposts continuously when it comes to recycling. And, yeah, Chris, you said you don't drive the same car that you grew up or learning on. Uh, but it hasn't changed that much. Whereas in recycling, I would argue that it, the goalposts have moved much further than the 63 Corvair I ended up uh, learning. Lear- and I did. It, it, I drove a 1963 Corvair unsafe at any speed. St- Indeed. Stick shift. That's we're what glad I le- you're still with us, Mike. <laughs> but keep in mind, too, what we're dealing with is not just a single thing with four wheels and a, and a, a, a steering wheel. What we're dealing with is product manufacturers who are trying to improve their products and their packaging. We're dealing with a public that wants ease and simplicity and convenience. And I agree that when we put everything separate at the curb, the stuff that went out to the manufacturers was cleaner, neater, and easier to recover. But you also got less of it because there were people we did not have the level of participation and what we had hoped to do was drive volume to make this happen and make it easier for manufacturers to acquire the material and also to divert from the landfill. So what we're dealing with here is not only this big, massive bunch of stuff, but how we're trying to pull back from the landfill and conserve resources. And admittedly, it, is, it ain't perfect yet. It, it probably never will be. But what we're trying to do is we're working with a public who needs to be kept informed, but we're also trying to respond and develop equipment, manufacturing processes, and all of the related industries so that we can keep moving that needle. And, it, again, it, it, it's not pretty, but it is getting better. <laughs> And and how do you keep from confusing everybody in the process? That's the hard part. Well, and you know what? If I had the key to that one, I could retire on the Riviera. Well, but what, yeah. what I do see and what I think, and, and I think within the industry, and this is looking inward, we have to stop geeking out on terms that don't mean anything to the public. A single stream confuses people. So now we have to step back and say, how do we communicate to our source of material, which is every homeowner, every apartment dweller, every person who would like to participate in recycle, how do we help them to understand what goes in that container today? And understand there's two containers out there, and the one that's going to 
get the recycling stuff has a limit, and we ask you to do a little bit more work to make sure it's recycled, and what goes into the other one is called garbage. And <laughs> to, unfortunately, and, and one of my mantras, again, is I do not like to walk my dog in my neighborhood on recycling day because I see what people think should be recycled, <laughs> and I don't want to get beat up by my neighbors. But the truth is, people think, okay, you said metal, so they think big metal mm -hmm. pieces too. And what people don't understand is that this recycling industry directs things to very specific destinations, and those very specific destinations can't do it all. They have specialty materials that they need. They have equipment. They have markets. It isn't one giant place where it all goes in and comes out the other end just completely recovered. That, and that's, that's a burden for all of us, but you know what? Yeah. It keeps me busy, and I love it. Uh, it does. That's Chris Carr. President of the Illinois Recycling Association. He's also Senior Consultant at Resource Recycling Systems, RRS. Uh, we also have Carl Zimring on the phone. Okay, and you got to straighten this out for me, Carl, because uh, you know how much I care about academia, which is not much. Uh, <laughs> and I can never remember whether you're, you're an associate professor right now, right? The last time we spoke, I was associate. I am now full professor. You're a full professor now. Yes. Oh, okay. So that's cleared up. Now I don't ever have to throw the term <laughs> out there. Uh, so, professor. This Car means talking trash is something people in the academy will actually listen to. Wow. So job. it truly is two professors. Two talking. professors uh, talking trash. Uh, but, but, you know, Carl was already a PhD, and, and Stephen Corey is a PhD, and uh, they are together, a couple of professors talking trash. That is this Thursday at Columbia College. If you want information on it, uh, you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net, but you can also go to Illinois Recycling Association on Facebook, um, and you can go to the Illinois Recycling Association website, which is Illinois Recycles with an S, dot org, uh, and you can sign up, and um, there's even a special rate for students, so we want to drag some of those, like uh, like Ariana uh, on the other side of the glass, who's waving, who uh, is uh, a graduate of the DePaul Department of uh, Sustainability Studies, and um, I I made her uh, show up. Uh, I said, you're, you're going to be there, okay? Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not hearing no. just like a professor, Mike. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. I will, I will never be a professor. That's as close as I'm going to come right there. But the idea is that the two of you guys are going get to get up there and talk a little bit of history of recycling. Some of the stuff we're talking about right now, and 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 what was fascinating about what Chris just said, and we've got like a minute here before we break, but we'll come back. What was something you guys can think about is, you know, we live in Chicago. I do. You don't anymore, Carl. Good for you, uh, at least in terms of recycling, because <laughs> we have among the most dismal recycling rates in the world for a large city. We may be at the very bottom of large cities in the world. I hadn't actually thought of it that way, but it could be. And now they're trying to change that. They're, you know, trying to turn that ship around using uh, carrot and stick, mostly carrot, I guess now. I don't know. Some stick. It's hard to say. But the point I would make, having been on the Chicago Recycling Coalition for uh, more than a decade, is uh, 
the Titanic is a hard thing to turn around because we launched <laughs> we launched it in one direction and now we're trying to flip it around and it's psychology as Chris pointed out. So let's get back to that. If you've got a uh, a comment, 847-475-1590. You're welcome to call in to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. The subject is recycling, and we will be right back. Did you know that a running toilet can waste up to 200 gallons of water per day? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Water is a precious and vital resource, and 750 million people on this planet don't have access to safe, clean water. So let's not waste what we have, okay? According to the EPA, we lose over 1 trillion gallons of water a year to household leaks. So let's fix those leaky faucets, folks. While you're at it, consider installing a low-flow showerhead and a low-flow toilet, and maybe... Sing a shorter song when you're in the shower because Americans also use 1.2 trillion gallons of water just showering every year. Just saying. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. Chicagoans are looking for ways to get healthier in 2017. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach this growing wellness market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. That's 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. This is your talk. One of the few true originals of our time. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. You know, I could do a uh, maybe give away a couple of ticks to uh, yeah. the uh, event if just by asking people who sang this song. I bet you have <laughs> nobody has any idea who sang this song, but I've got the answer here. But but I'm not going to do that. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show because we you know we want people to pay to get in because it's a great. Uh, uh, benefit for the Illinois Recycling Association, and and that's the idea is is to help the folks who are trying to help you do this right. Uh, on the phone line, uh, I have Carl Zimmering, a professor, a full professor <laughs> at the Pratt Institute. Uh, now, when you say the Pratt Institute, do, and and you know the other thing I noticed, Carl, is you don't use Doctor Zimmering, you don't use. Carl Zimring, Ph.D. It's just Carl. Carl, Zim- Carl Zimring. Uh, as long as you don't use profanity, I'll answer Danny. Okay, and uh, he's also the uh, author of Aluminum Upcycled: Sustainable Design in Historical Perspective. He is one 
of a couple of professors talking trash this Thursday, 6 p.m., Roosevelt University, room 420. The address is 430 South Michigan Avenue in Chicago. Uh, and he will be speaking with Stephen Corey, Ph.D., from Columbia College in Chicago. And the two of them, they're a tag team, and they're mm-hmm. going to be lots of fun. Uh, and Carl will have copies of Aluminum Upcycled. Now, look, you're listening to me, and you're saying, why would I want a book on recycling? You want this book. This is very entertaining. If uh, you're interested at all in the history, and that's part of what Carl's going to be talking about on Thursday, too, is is the history of of, of how we take products, how we create products in the United States, and we reuse them. Aluminum is a fascinating one because, as we talked about in April, and by the way, you were on April Fool's Day on uh, on uh, this station, and uh, Carl told us about how aluminum basically is, the manufacture of it is, is roughly 100 years old. We just figured it out in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, but then it suddenly, in World War One and Two became a really valuable substance and continues to be valuable until this day. Uh, and uh, it's reused all the time. So that's why aluminum is such an interesting metal uh, and, and substance. Yeah. And it gets into uh, Chris's point before break was that recycling is always changing. Except the waste stream, for one thing, is always changing. Mm-hmm. hundred years ago, if we were going to get a beverage like milk, we'd get it in a glass bottle and we'd reuse it. What do we do now? We have a plastic bottle or we have an aluminum can and they're single use. And a lot of what we'll talk about on Thursday will be, well, how did that change? And then what did that do to what people were throwing away in Chicago? And where did it go? And what was it used for? What problems did it have? Mm -hmm. And one of the cool things about aluminum is you melt it down. uh, You're actually saving a lot of energy to make new metal um, from old aluminum than from mined materials. So there are all sorts of things you can do with it, including, well, the uh, I have to confess to you, I'm on a smartphone right now, and part of that smartphone is aluminum, mm-hmm. recycled aluminum. Um, and so a lot of what I talk about in the book are all these things. We turn old cans into new cans, but we turn old cans into sports cars, the Ford F-150 truck, uh, even uh, furniture and guitars. So those are some of the things manufacturers can and have done with recycled materials. So when you're tossing stuff into your your blue bin, who knows? It, it could be turned into amazing furniture. <laughs> or guitars. Or guitars. Or, or it comes or, there because yeah. you're clothing. You, you're, you're wearing old water bottles. Right. Absolutely. Patagonia helped pioneer this. And mm-hmm. even today, uh, Adidas is turning uh, old plastic fishing nets in the ocean into new athletic sneakers and swimsuits. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really desirable consumer goods that come out of recycled materials, and that's one of the things I think we need to do as a society is talk about, hey, this isn't simply about getting a new soda can. It's about making all sorts of things in industrial society. However, you just you just brought up a really good point, which is that manufacturers have to start bearing some responsibility for this. The way we've been talking right now is, hey, consumer, how come you're not recycling? Where, as you've pointed out, and and you said this to me on the phone recently, Carl, give me a ketchup packet 
and I can <laughs> I can wax poetic on that for a couple of hours just standing there holding a ketchup packet. Why Which is, has aluminum in it? Why is that, Carl? Yeah. Um. So if you've gone to like a sporting event or a concert, you've got those little tiny ketchup packets or must again. I realize this the Chicago market. So if you're getting a hot dog, you want the mustard or the relish and not the ketchup. I understand. <laughs> um, I'm with you on that. And those are different than those big glass bottles of Pine 57 ketchup. They're one and done, disposable. You rip it open with your teeth, you pour it on, and you're done with it. It's kind of a weird material, if you think about it, because it feels metallic, but it's also really flexible. And that's because it's something that, and I apologize, I'm going to do something, give some academic jargon. The material isn't simply aluminum. It's what we call a monstrous hybrid, a mix of aluminum and plastic together that's adhered to make this really handy, convenient uh, condiment packet. Mm -hmm. And then when you're done with it, it is trash. It's really expensive and time-consuming to try to separate the aluminum from the plastic in it. So because of the way the ketchup packet has been designed, it has been designed to be thrown in a landfill as opposed to be separated out and recycled into, oh, new ketchup packets if you really want to. And, and most people never even think of it. It's you ju- it's just an automatic action. Rip the ketchup package open, put it on whatever, and toss it. Not- exactly. It's designed not to be thought about. We throw it away out of sight and out of mind. Mm. Except once I read your book, now I'm opening every packet and going, there's <laughs> aluminum in this. And, of course, uh, the Heinz uh, And, of people. course, this also gets into the stuff that's floating in the Chicago River. I know in your previous mm-hmm. segment you had people talking about the ecology of the Chicago River. One of the things Steve Corey will talk about is how we as urban populations have used our waterways as disposal sites for all of our waste, and that's a such terrible problems over the last hundred years. Uh, well, yeah, except that we used to use our streets for disposal sites as well. Uh, we, and he can talk about that in great length too. We still kind of do. Yeah, um, we, do, we do. We do. Especially our alleys. Not in the same way, though. It, although you're right, yeah. especially in our alleys. You look in my alley. Mm-hmm. I can't believe the junk I find in my alley in the city, and in in you know it well, it, it makes it, my blood boil. Well, I've got the same thing. Green Bay Road is tons of people driving cars and a lot of people on bikes, and I can walk the dog. And there's beer cans, soda bottles, chip containers, everything. It's like it's the same thing. Just throw it on Green Bay Road on the Parkway. Mm-hmm. And and we wonder. And it, go ahead. Fifty years ago, we were doing the same thing. Yep. One hundred and fifty years ago, we weren't. But one hundred and fifty years ago, or actually one hundred and thirty years ago. We had we lost you, Carl. Twenty three hundred tons of manure on the streets every day in cities. Yeah, that that was so, actually what I was referring to when mm-hmm. I said we used yeah. to throw it in the streets. There there yeah. were two feet of uh, there was two feet of debris in the city streets of Chicago that Jane Adams had to dig down to. Actually, mm-hmm. she dug down like halfway and said to the city, "You dig the rest of it, okay?" And then once you dug through all that debris and garbage, you could find the uh, the bricks that formed the street underneath. Uh, and that, that at least has changed over the years, but we still do too much, as Peggy said, too much thrown out of cars, too much just... I, I'm, I'm just stunned when, I, when I'm behind a car or even a, a person walking and they drop a wrapper and they just leave it or a can. How, how is that even acceptable behavior anymore? I, I, I don't get that. And, and, and I guess it's that kind of mentality. It leads to a 9% recycling rate in the city of Chicago. Um, 
What it's wh- certainly part of it. Yeah. Um, although one of the interesting things is, what do we call those folks? Litter bugs. <laughs> well, you who are... invented the word litter bugs? The folks who gave us Coca Cola, uh, yep. Anheuser Busch, and all the disposable packaging yep. that were angering people who were on the streets for throwing away. But who designed this disposable stuff? The folks who said, "Don't blame us. Blame, blame the blame you. The litter yep. bug." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and that's been the problem. That's what I alluded to earlier. Is that we have put it all on the consumer. Uh, you know, it would, and and we mentioned this on the show when you were here in April. Keep America Beautiful was the was the campaign that introduced the litter bug, and it took the onus off of the manufacturer and put it on the com- consumer. And we got to put some of that back on the the manufacturer. They have to be thinking of end of life of even something like a ketchup packet or a mustard packet when they manufacture it. Otherwise. The system breaks down. It just breaks Exactly. Down. And in some places like continental Europe, uh, that's already in place. Uh, again, I'm going to use some terminology. It's called extended producer responsibility. And whether you're making a computer or a ketchup packet, if you're the manufacturer, you have to keep in mind, how is this going to be used? How is it going to be disposed of? Can we maximize the return of uh, salvaged material from it? And then thinking about how to change the design of all the things we use because of that. We don't have extended producer responsibility in Illinois, and that might be something that we can talk about more on Thursday mm-hmm. night. Well, I think that's something that's a great segue to Chris Carr to wrap up for the Illinois Recycling Association. Uh, before she does, I just want to remind folks it's called A Couple of Professors Talking Trash. Uh, one of them is Carl Zimmering, who you've been listening to. The other, Steve Corey, professor uh, from uh, Columbia College in uh, Chicago at Roosevelt University this Thursday, 6 p.m. Uh, and uh, you can get information. It's tw- it's uh, 35 bucks, 20 bucks if you're a student. You can make reservations at the Illinois Recycling Association website. And t- give us a couple of minutes quickly, uh, Chris, about the the uh, work of the Illinois Recycling Association. Oh, thank you. I do have a very brief overview. Uh, The Illinois Recycling Association, or IRA, is a not-for-profit organization formed in 1980 as the Illinois Association of Recycling Centers, and we changed our name in 1990 to IRA. And our association currently has over 100 members. The membership does span the variety of participants in the industry, all levels of government, educators, consultants, institutions, not-for-profits, private sector haulers, processors, support businesses and manufacturers of equipment and recycled content products. And our mission really is to promote all three levels of the hierarchy, waste reduction, reuse, and recycling. And we are educating and encouraging the study and support of these issues and activities, which includes composting. Mm -hmm. And composting is... Uh, yard waste is banned in the state of Illinois, Carl. So we do have a little bit of EPR, but we also have what's called VPR. Right. We are out of time. Go to IllinoisRecycles.org. Thank you both. We'll see you on Thursday. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is open now. 
McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll get a head start on season. Mike and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Your family and pets spend a lot of time in public parks, schoolyards, and on your own lawn. And you want those grounds to be not only beautiful, but safe. Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston company with a decade of experience successfully creating beautiful lawns naturally. Logic works with homeowners on the North Shore and also with schools, park districts, and cities across Chicagoland to manage large turf areas naturally. Get a free estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. This is your talk. Do you read me? On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Come on, is anybody even out there? Okay, don't pay any attention to <laughs> to the, the slowness of the uh, of, of the song. Did it just kind of go its own little speed? Yeah, there it again? did. It sort of sped up as uh, we went along. And you know, and I've got the wrong. I, I real. I think I've got the. Did I have the? Oh, there we go. I I flipped these uh, around. Wrong CD. I had the wrong. Yeah. So, but that's okay. I like Do Ya anyway. That's a good song. <laughs> ELO. Any anytime you play ELO on the song, you're gonna or on the show, you're gonna make me happy. Uh, we're in the home stretch here, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I hope some of you uh, come on by. I want to encourage folks to come to the uh, the talk that Carl and Steve are going to do this uh, Thursday. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, um, especially live. I mean, you get a yeah, little sense on the phone, yeah. but when when like when Carl was in the studio, it's just and I'm and I'm trying to. Uh, I, I'm just uh, interesting. He just. Uh, retweeted Carl retweeted extended producer responsibility asked Carl Zimmering at a couple of professors talking trash so there you go uh yeah ask him about it <laughs> why uh, Illinois isn't uh an EPR state we we need to know that uh several things going on we were supposed to go to an event at the Chicago Botanic Garden mm-hmm. last Wednesday guess what happened it rained a lot and those, rained those, and rained. I know those poor people over there. That the CBG's flooded, and we've been sort of following that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it is back open full time today. I was there yesterday. It was open for five hours yesterday, and today I got the email. And you saying, sent me some photos mm-hmm. there, so there there were still standing water around there. Yeah, the water is still quite high um, all along the coastline areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just mud. 
You know, they've done a fabulous job cleaning up, but things like the um, Regenstein Fruit and Vegetable Garden, beautiful terraced gardens that Lisa and her team had put together, and they're all either still underwater or (gasps) just mudded. What, they go down to? Yeah, they go down to the lagoons. Yeah. But but the vegetable garden itself and most of the gardens that I walked through were beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they've, they've done a great job cleaning it all up. You know, if if anybody can rebound from that, of course they can, and and it's frustrating to them. Oh, we got a call pouring in there, uh, and um, they 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 will figure it out. Mm-hmm. But it it does. I saw a guy interviewed last night about the Des Plaines River and says, "When are we going to fix this? When?" And and you know, was talking to Dick Durbin, Senator yeah. Dick Durbin. Yeah. And the politicians always say, well, we need to look into, you know, Dick is exactly the kind of guy. Well, we need to look into this. Yeah, he this. said he didn't get answers. He just got promises. Right. You saw the same thing yeah. I did. Yeah. And we all know the Des Plaines River is a catastrophe. And the reason it's a catastrophe is because of all the infrastructure that didn't take drainage into account. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's And so every time we get one of these events, and come on, folks. This has happened before. It happens all the time. We're talking the Des Plaines River. All right? You know that. If it's you get, a river. It's a river, and it doesn't have anywhere to drain. And those places just pour all that water in there because we paved everything over mm-hmm. and we don't take it into account and blah, blah, blah. And I was I was looking at all the flood monitoring on uh, National Weather Service and NOAA, and <laughs> the river has crested at a record level this yeah, year. Yeah, saw that too. Wow. So another thing that I saw that I posted at uh, the Mike Novak show on Facebook, and as much as I have issues with Facebook, I will tell people, go on there and like us. <laughs> we need, I, I want a couple of likes today, okay? That's my mission here. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, let's, uh, in just a second, we'll uh, get to Chris in Palatine. Uh, but I saw this um, report from Arlington Heights about this Mm -hmm. couple that put a vegetable garden in their front yard, and believe it or not, the village of Arlington Heights is making noises like, well, this is, you know, this could cause problems, and we really don't know what to do. And, of course, I I kind of exploded and went nuts and said, okay, let's see if I got this right. You'd rather have the lawn with the chemicals and the biological desert uh, and, and, you know, the stuff that can hurt your dog and hurt your kids. uh, That you consider safe. But you're worried that somebody's going to eat a bad leaf of lettuce. Really? Welcome to 1950. All right. Thank you, mm-hmm. city of or village of Arlington Heights. Uh, just silly. When are we going to move past that nonsense? You know, the idea that if you put a vegetable garden in your front yard, oh, my God, you've, you've committed a crime. Yeah. Um, wow. It's starting education at the municipal level. Uh, Chris from Palatine is on the phone. He's trying to sneak one in here before the end of the show. <laughs> What's going on, Chris? Well, I was curious. You know, you mentioned you were at the Botanic Gardens yesterday. I mean, I've been going there since 1977 and have seen it really grow. Uh, I just wonder how much permanent damage do you think has been done? And uh, I also wanted to make a comment about driving down the Milwaukee Avenue right <laughs> next to the Des Plaines River. Well, I, I, not working for the gardens, I can't really say on that, but, but, but it but, looks... But. It looks good. I mean, I think yeah. it's, you know, if you go to their website on the gardens, there's an entire section that talks about how the gardens were designed as part of the Skokie Lagoon system to mitigate flooding. Okay, so well, it's it's in their design. 
Yeah, that's good. The other thing I wanted to mention, and I don't think anyone's talked about these, but there is, by the way, a small trailer park that's in Wheeling along the uh, Desplaines, that's right on the Desplaines River. Mm -hmm. And I drove past it yesterday, and it looks like uh, two-thirds of it, you know, there's water, you know, going up on there. And, you know, let's say the people who live in trailer parks are not exactly wealthy people. And I doubt very much if anything has been said about that. You know, you talk about, you know, again, a very wealthy organization like the Botanic Gardens. But, you know, what about the people who are living, you know, the really poor people who are really, who've been, I mean, those people who live in those trailers, I'm sure everything they have is destroyed. Well, no flood insurance. And and other places along the Displains River that are not necessarily trailer parks, but people who uh, are on low incomes, fixed incomes, that sort of thing, who, who suffer from flood damage over and over and mm-hmm. over again. When when do we address this? Uh, and uh, as the guy said on uh, on the news last night, he's, he's, he hears talk, but nothing, yeah. nothing gets done. You know, you look at an area like Des Plaines, where they have put in some systems, but what about further north? Yeah. So, so the, the point I was going to make, Chris, about the Chicago Botanic Garden and the Des Plaines is that's a great topic that's a that's a show segment Mm -hmm. to talk to the people who have some knowledge about it and how they'll change that if if they can and you wanted to mention something about driving along milwaukee well, that's what I was, t- well, I was saying. You know, you just drive. I, I, when I was driving along Milwaukee Avenue, this this trailer park is like in Wheeling, right uh, near Hintz Road, and there is, uh, you know, it, it the water. I mean, the trailer park actually goes right down to the banks of the Desplaines River, practically. And when I drove past it, you know, you could just see in their parking lot, you know, in the lot itself, how high the water had gone up. In fact, there were still many of the trailers that have water, uh, you know, in the that are in the water. Yeah. Well, all I got to say to you, Chris, is did you get a new phone? <laughs> Actually, what I did is ch- ex- ch- just changed a cord. Unbelievable. For You've been calling me for years, and you had the <laughs> nastiest hum and clicks on your phone, and they're gone. Thank you for doing that. Well, wait, snap. Hey, what's the matter? You don't like Rice Krispies? <laughs> no, I don't. Not real. Well, not on the phone. Not not during the show. I'll eat them, uh, you know, at home in a bowl. But yeah, well, uh, Okay, well, I did make that correction. Good. Thank Congratulations. You. Instead of getting a new telephone, all I simply did is exchange a telephone cord, and, you know, a dollar fifty makes a big difference. <laughs> okay. Thanks for calling, Chris. You have a good Sunday. You too. All right. Thank. We want to thank everybody who was on uh, the show today because uh, it was a ton of people. Oh, you've got the cheat sheet there. I got I, the cheat sheet. Yeah. Uh, Nick Wesley and Zach D'Amato and George Brigandi, uh, who are in studio for Urban Rivers. Dave Scott, we're going to talk to him again next week out in British Columbia. Hope he gets back into his home soon. Um, Carl uh, Carl Zimring, Chris Carr, uh, Carl, uh, who's going to be speaking this uh, Thursday. Go to my website and find out. And Chris Carr from the Illinois Recycling Association. Uh, And Chris on the phone who fixed his phone. And Ariana answering phones. And Ben Boquist spinning the dials. Until next week, go green or go home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. Angelic Organics Learning Center celebrates its 10th annual Peak Harvest Farm Dinner on July 27th with a special tribute to Chef Paul Virant for his influence on countless chefs, farmers, and eaters. Feast on a freshly harvested five-course meal at Galleria Marchetti, Chicago that's designed by protégés of Chef Virant from notable area restaurants. 
Enjoy delicious delights from the Bang Bang Pie Stand, cocktails from local purveyors, live bluegrass, photo ops with adorable farm animals, and special guests including Monica Eng of WBEZ, chefs, farmers, and even me, Mike Novak. Dinner ingredients will be served at their peak freshness from sustainable sources. Join me and a bunch of folks who love good local food at Galleria Marchetti on July 27th. For tickets and information, go to learngrowconnect.org slash farm dinner. 